This is the Ezra Podcast. And we talk about the big fight this weekend. The fight that uh, has been talked about for a while. A fight that's Terrence Crawford has definitely needed for a while. I'm talking about Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter. Sean Porter, who's been game against everybody, but has still yet to win the big fight that he needs to. And a lot of people give him credit for you know his competitiveness against the likes of Keith Thurman and Earl Spence. But at that that top level, he has never won. Um, he's also lost to Kell Brook in a, a fight that I actually attended. He, his big wins are, you know, Danny Garcia and um, Adrian Broner. But Danny Garcia and Adrian Broner really never did anything at 147, and that's where he fought him at. And they were they were really, uh, you know, more names than they were legit contenders, uh, you know, elite of the weight division they never were. And this fight right here, it's uh, Terrence Crawford who... He's never really had the opponents that people want him to have at 147. And it's Sean Porter who's never had the win that he would like at 147. And they're going to meet up. And it's really to see, a measuring stick to see who, who Terrence Crawford is. Because a lot of people speculate that Terrence Crawford might be the best in the world. And some people speculate that Terrence Crawford isn't everything that everybody makes him out to be. Because he hasn't fought anyone. And some of the competition that he's had and fights that he's had that have been kind of close, kind of competitive. People don't feel like those fighters are at that level of the Earl Spence and the Earl Spence would smoke the competition that he's fighting. The Keith Thurman will smoke the competition that he's fighting. That none of these guys that he's fighting and having tough fights with are anywhere at the level of the guys in the, the, the PBC has on their roster. So that's what this fight it is. It's a, it's an important, it's an important last run for Terrence Crawford. I just posted, uh, I just made a, a, a post, an image about Terrence Crawford on his, the last potential run. And I had the, if he could beat Sean Porter, and then he would go and fight Josh Taylor. And then he would fight Earl Spence. And then he would fight. And then he could possibly fight uh, Boots Ennis. Actually, I Keith Thurman, Spence, and then Boots Ennis. And this was, you know, maybe wishful thinking. But this is a potential run that Terrence Crawford can have to finish his career. Now, Terrence Crawford is at 34 years old. So this run I have is with a two-year span of being completed, which would be 36, which would be right about the point where you would think that it starts to completely fall off for him. But Terrence Crawford definitely needs that run. Now, Terrence Crawford has been undisputed. He's won titles over multiple divisions. But nonetheless, at the end of the day, you're going to talk resume. We're going to talk resume, and we're going to talk about who he beat. And were they in their prime? At what point? And who would they be? And, you know, compare that to everybody else. And Earl Spence, you know, he has Sean Porter. He has Mikey Garcia. He has Danny Garcia. He has some credible guys that people, you know, respect in those divisions. Now, to me, Mikey Garcia is undersized. To me, Danny Garcia, Danny Garcia is undersized. Uh, Sean Porter's never be anyone. But then he has his win, a big win over Cal Brook, right? If Earl Spence has a big win over Cal Brook. Some of those are questionable. Terrence Crawford, his names are, are a lot less, you know, recognizable. I mean, he has a win, win over Mean Machine, but Mean Machine's never really beat anyone. He had a, Mean Machine had a, you know, like a, a decent fight over Ortiz that where he, you know, he got stopped. His biggest win is probably Postal. Was Terrence Crawford's biggest win Postal? Who, Postal is a, is a good fighter, but... His biggest win is Matisse. Argue you can argue that Postal beat uh, Jose Ramirez. I, I would I would hear you in the argument because I think I scored that fight for 
Postal, but he doesn't have the official win over it. So, like I said, Terrence Crawford doesn't have like the 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 brilliant resume that if you just broke it down by the fighters. So this is what this is to start it right. This is to say if he beat Sean Porter and if he does it in an amazing fashion, then you would I think people's opinions are going to change on you know where Terrence Crawford ranks among the PBC guys as far as Thurman, Boots, Earl Spence, you guys, and I think that how I expect this fight to kind of turn out, I think that it's going to be eye-opening. And I think that you're going to see two two camps come out. One's going to be like, okay, Terrence Crawford is the best. And what he did in Sean Porter, we had never seen before. And how he did it, and how he dispatched him, is just different than what anyone else has done to him. Or are you going to get the camp that Sean Porter was washed? And that all the damage it took in previous fights, it all you know over overflowed the ship here and it crumpled and that's why he crumbled because i expect terrence crawford to have a, a amazing performance in this fight and i'm going to explain to you why terrence crawford is very very coordinated he's part of the most coordinated fighter in the 147 division and he's coordinated with both hands when we fought we've seen caleb plant fight uh canelo the one problem i told you he had is he didn't have a right hand he was all left-handed and his right hand wasn't as coordinated as left hand and that wasn't only in offense it was in defense as well well Terrence Crawford is coordinated with both hands. And when he steps, takes a step back, he's not like Earl Spence, who is a one-step-back type of fighter. He could take multiple steps back and still be in position to strike. And I think that's where he, Sean Porter is going to run to his most problems. Because Sean Porter punches from too far away. He likes to bum-rush in with shots. And not saying that he's unskilled or the only way he can win is better. No, because Sean Porter can do multiple things. Sean Porter could box a little bit. Sean Porter can fight on the inside a little bit. Sean Porter can uh you know fight a mid-range he has abilities to do all those things now is he great at one thing no but i think the combination of everything makes him very tough but he still makes mistakes and i don't think that the guys besides cal brook have been really ca- able to capitalize on the mistakes he makes and he punches from too far away and he runs in from too far away and he runs in straight shots he does also doesn't move his head also in combinations on the inside his head stays center line and his chin kind of pops up now a lot of the times he can do it because he's body is flailing you know what it seems wildly and the guy the guys that are next to him are just trying to kind of survive the him inside on them when all the motion that's going on they're just kind of like try to hold him or get control where he's at but Terrence Crawford has that kind of precision and eyesight and timing that he's going to capitalize that early and the way I describe Terrence Crawford as I watch him on this fight is he's like a batter in baseball and the more pitches he sees the better he's get the better eye he's going to have for the ball and I think that Sean Porter gives you a lot of pitches. I think he constantly gives you pitches all day. He's just giving you looks and looks and looks. And that's why Terrence Crawford, his style is perfect for that. Because his style is to let you come in, give me a look. Okay, I read that look, read that look, read that look. And then boom, it's done. Hits the ball out. It's gone. It's over. Some people saying that Terrence Crawford gets hit too much. Maybe, but I really believe that he trusts in his offense more than he trusts anyone else's offense. He thinks if we're, if we're exchanging timing, precision, uh, with our hands, I'm going to win every time. And he's been right every time. He's not been wrong yet. Now, has he been, you know, been hit before or, you know, that had that, you know, tested a little bit? Sure. You know, and when you fight guys at this level, even if they're not the big names that, you know, are w- as well promoted, like as far as Mean Machine, Mean Machine is pretty damn good. I think if he went to fight in the PBC, he'd be pretty tough for all of these guys. But w- what happened with, is they couldn't find opponents, so they suddenly had to start, you know, 
bring in the next guy, right? Bring in the next guy that isn't signed with a major promotion, doesn't have a big name. Doesn't mean they're not good. These are up and coming guys. He's just fighting them all the time and not getting any credit for them because, like I said, they don't have the name. But I think Terrence Crawford is everything he's made out to be. And sometimes I just, you just got to look at the eye test. And the eye test, I don't believe, is lying to me with Terrence Crawford. I think he's the most skilled 147. I think he's the most dangerous 147. I think he's the best 147. I've always had that. I've always had him over Spence. And I always just wanted him to be able to prove it. And I think that this is the beginning of it. This fight right here. This is uh, also Terrence Crawford's last fight with top rank. So it will get interesting if he can get the W and have that kind of leverage. And the fight that you know everybody's going to want is, is Spence. And if he can somehow work the deal with Showtime or PBC... Or, you know, another promotion, but to get that fight is even very important. Next few steps. Maybe even, you know, Keith Thurman. Like I said, uh, also Virgil Ortiz out there. And, you know, Top Rank still has Josh Taylor. Now, I just can't see him going back to Top Rank because it hasn't exactly worked out the way that he wanted it to as far as uh, the name recognition of the opponents. But they do have Josh Taylor so that they can say, hey, listen, we have Josh Taylor. That's a, a mega fight for you. Where he'd move up and wait, and then we'll get another guy from the PBC. You know, we worked out this one deal, the PBC, we'll get another guy from the PBC. Maybe they could come with some kind of proposition like that. I can't see it, especially when Bob Arum kind of like undersold Crawford when they had their little uh, dispute about finding him, you know, an opponent, or, you know, Bob Arum saying he lost money with Terrence Crawford. But as this fight, how I see it going is I see Terrence Crawford looking very impressive. I'm going to take Terrence Crawford to get a stoppage in this fight. In the sixth round, I think that I think the f- first three rounds are going to be competitive, if not favoring Sean Porter. I think Sean Porter is going to look very effective early in this fight with the rushing style, and I think that as time goes on, you're going to start seeing just little switches, right? When Ter- I think Terrence Crawford goes southpaw, and he does a little switch on the inside, he do- he does it to land an uppercut. You know, I one of the best I've ever seen do it is because usually when you switch in front of someone, you don't want to do it when you're right next to them. Because there's a point of it where you're off balance. But he knows how to do it when you when, when, when someone comes in on him. He does a slight switch just to get an angle that the person is not seeing to create just enough space to land uppercut. And I think that's what he's going to land on Porter. I think he, when Porter rushes in, there's going to be that part where people are used to holding Porter or just trying to hold him off him. And Terrence Crawford's not. He's going to switch to get the space and land the uppercut. And I think once he does that, it's over. I think he lands a hurts him and Terrence Crawford is a finisher. I think he wins this fight. Now as I always give, is what's the counter for Porter to win this fight? I think it's honestly trying to box more in this fight. Um, he, he's done that against Ugas. He did that in parts against Spence. I think this is the fight to do it. You pull out, you box more, and you s- limit your flurries, but just do enough flurries to win the round. It's a you know, Sugar Ray Leonard technique of move around, move around, then you're going to flurry, uh, create the commotion, win the round, and rinse and repeat. You don't. I don't think you want to give Crawford too many looks. I don't think you want to get in a, you know, in a gunfight with him. I think the best thing would be doing is what Porter does best: muddy the water, right? To give a thousand different looks and make him adjust it. Once he adjusts that, then you give him this. And then he adjusts that, you give him this. That's what Porter needs to do: and bring out all the things. But I think it's more of a boxing technique, and then thirty-second flurries in a fight to steal rounds. I think that's his best chance in this fight. But like I said, I'm going Terrence Crawford. Stoppage, sixth round. Next fight we have, and it's an interesting one, because this one is on Friday, Demetrius Andrade versus Jason Quigley. And um, the reason why it's interesting is because Andrade has just, to me, like a career that 
you know, he's created himself. They, they put him as some kind of boogeyman, like if Canelo's avoiding him. Um, but to me, everything I've seen from Andrade, he's just not on the level of Canelo. And, you know, not on the level of Charlo. Doesn't seem to be on the level. Like, I would pick Golovkin to fight Andrade. I would pick Golovkin to win that fight. Now, Andrade's offense is it's not great. It's not great coming forward. It's predictable going backwards. He kind of does the same shots over and over again. He's very limited offensively-wise. Now, if you can't create offense and at the top level, you're not going to win just by being defensively aware. And sometimes his defensive like his defensive moves aren't the best either. He overdips with his uh, with his upper body, which allows guys to fall in on him or get close to him. Like I said, his counter shots are pretty wide. They're really showy. But he's fighting Jason Quigley, who, you know, is a very limited fighter. Um, Jason Quigley got to this position because he beat Shane Mosley Jr., who, you know, is a limited fighter himself, and they went to war. So, in this fight, you know, Demetrius Andrade should dominate. Like, everything on paper, everything I'm seeing, he should have his way with this fight. But that hasn't been his M.O. lately. His M.O. has been, uh, he'll hurt the fighter, and it'll look like he's about to have some kind of impressive performance, and then he diminishes as it goes on. Now, he's one of the worst finishers in boxing. Like I said, that has to do with the offense, and there's just not a lot of variety there, what he does. Now, his punches going back will become less effective because they become more predictable as the fight goes on. Jason Quigley is going to come forward. Um, he, he, I'm not really 100% sure Jason Quigley knows what his style is in boxing, but if he has his most success, it's him pushing you back, him getting you against the ropes, and exploding with one-twos. He's got a, a you know a quick little left hook that kind of he kind of keeps low and he kind of just swipes it over. It's, it's all right. And what I did notice is he has a better jab than I think that even he knows because he never uses it. This fight, I think he would have to use that jab, uh, and it, it could be quick because he doesn't pull it all the way back. When he jabs, he pulls it halfway and then can jab again. And it's actually not uh, a common skill that fighters have. It's not a really easy thing to do. And he seems to be doing it pretty naturally. And I wish he would use it more. And I would think in this fight, if he's going to have any chance, he has to keep Andrade home. And keep Andrade just defensive. I think the jab is the key to doing that. And keep uh, Andrade constantly looking at something or seeing something or having to react to something. But I expect Andrade to just have the performance he usually has. I, he might probably going to start off fast, probably hurt quickly or hit him with something big, go after something, then it's not going to go, right, because his offense is limited. But he shouldn't be touched in this fight. Like, if he's getting touched in this fight or if it's somewhat competitive, just how the last fight was with Liam Williams, who Liam was a considerably better fighter than Jason Quigley. But if it's somewhat competitive, I mean, that's just telling you everything you need to know. You know, we could continue lying to ourselves, painting a narrative that, you know, Andrade is some beast, defensive Floyd Mayweather, but he's not. That's not what he is. And if, you know, he was that, and, you know, you're waiting for Canelo, waiting for Golovkin, waiting for Charles, well, why don't you go 167 or go to 170 and fight one of those guys? If your defensively cannot be touched, then let the skill prove over um, many weight classes. But it's just, that's just not the problem, and he, that's just not the, the, the truth, and he's been touched, and he's been getting touched, but he shouldn't in this fight. I'm going to pick Demetrius Andrade, unanimous decision. He shouldn't lose one round. Um, hopefully this sets up a fight with him and uh, Mangia, who Mangia had a great performance last weekend. I think that's a beautiful fight. I think that that's uh, Andrade's respected in middleweight. Mangia is a, a name. Mangia needs that respect, and Andrade needs a name. It seems like a match made in heaven. Quigley, for the counter, is just jab. Jab, jab, jab. Keep him... 
keep him on the defensive. And then when he overdips his head, falls for too much, be active. Even if you don't land, be active. Outwork him. On that undercard, the fight that I find is interesting is uh, Julio Cesar Martinez versus Milk Williams Arroyo. And Arroyo was supposed to have this fight before um, Julio Cesar Martinez had to pull out due to injury. I did not think that they would make this fight again. I thought that for whatever reason that fight was made before, I thought it was a mistake. But they went back to it. Now, I didn't fully break it down like I did last time. I have a previous podcast that maybe we could go look at that breaks this fight down. Uh, in that podcast, I picked McWilliams or Royal. He can box. He's very skilled. Julio Cesar Martinez, who his offense is very good. He's a little stiff. His legs are a little bit slow. Um, he's a little bit open. His head kind of stays a little stale. I think McWilliams or Royal is going to pull off an upset here. Now, I don't know how big of an upset it'd be, but last time I checked when they were going to fight before, it was pretty huge. I'm going to pick McWilliams Arroyo to win a decision in this fight. I think Julio Cesar Martinez is going to have moments because he likes to work, but McWilliams Arroyo has seen a lot of great uh, competition. He he knows he's very experienced. I don't expect him to be, you know, like in shock with the speed and power that Cesar Martinez has. And I just think he's just going to be just do enough. Be good enough to win a decision here and win this fight. And I think this is questionable matchmaking uh, on the part of um, uh, Matchroom. I believe Matchroom has Julio Cesar Martinez. It's questionable matchmaking. Um, but we're going to see. I think that's honestly the most interesting fight in the card, even more than the main event. I also wanted to talk about uh, Canelo, you know, a little bit of a controversy, I guess, or, you know, debate. Canelo says he wants to move to a cruiserweight, which is insane, right? If you're thinking about a 168-pound Canelo, who's small for 168 pounds, who was considered kind of small for middleweight. 154 pounds was considered his weight. Then he went to 160 and was considered like, okay, is he going to be able to be big enough at this weight versus Golovkin? Remember, he wanted Golovkin to meet him at a catch weight. Golovkin's too strong, so they wanted middleweight. Then he went to 167 was like, you know, then we fought Rocky Felding and uh, Kovalev at 170. It was insane considered at that point. Now he wants to go all the way to 200 to maybe 190 if they can adjust the, you know, they might adjust the weight class for WBC to 190 pounds. That, and people were saying that this is him dodging uh, Benavides. And I, I couldn't disagree more with this. And I, I'm gonna not going to go fully into it. I want to do a video podcast on this where I kind of fully break it down. But it, it's to me, it's as simple as this. I did, I did a top five resume. I did a top five wins, and I rank them. For, I did one for Floyd. I did one for Zab Judah. I did one for Canelo. And Canelo's uh, top five, no one's broken into it like in the past three or four years. right? No one, All the wins he's got, no one has been worthy enough to put in there. I'm talking about Kelm Smith, Billy Joe Saunders. Um, you know, of course, your drum, uh, even Caleb Plant. The reason for that, and maybe they will later on, but not far right now, is because none of them have fought anybody. And they don't fight each other. And because everybody's waiting around for a Canelo payday, it hurts Canelo's legacy because when he fights them, we look back and say, well, who did they beat? They didn't beat anyone. And no matter what you're saying beforehand, you'll everybody will change their opinion after. Everybody's hindsight is 20-20 after the fact. So now what Canelo is seeing is saying, well, why would I fight these guys if I'm not even going to get credit for it? I was listening to uh, Chicken Talk, and I'm a, I'm a, uh, I always listen to, you know, I listen to Ch Ch uh, Chicken Talk on Twitter 
pretty often. And if you don't know what Chicken Talk is, it's a it's a uh, space on Twitter where they talk boxing. And they were comparing the undisputed that Terrence Crawford had versus Canelo. And if you know anything about the you know the complaints against Terrence Crawford, is it, who is he beat? So if you were having a debate and you were debating Terrence Crawford's undisputed run over Canelo's, that means you have no respect for Canelo's run. And I think that Canelo's pretty smart reading the room. I think he's pretty smart to temp- uh, gauging the temperature of what's going on. And I think he says, okay, I beat Caleb Plant. And they're going to say the same thing. Well, who has he beat? And you know what? They're right. Who has he beat? So he's saying, Benavides, go fight Charlo. Or Benavides, fight someone of respect. And Charlo, go fight someone of respect. Bavol, go fight someone of respect. Biedrabev, go fight someone of respect. So when I add you to my resume, it's worth something. I think about something all the time is that Floyd Mayweather, when he fought Victor Ortiz, one of the things he said in one of the um, you know countdowns of the show was, you know, this guy's going to be world champion one day. Just not this, not, not this fight. Now, and I think that Floyd, at that point in his career, was trying to put guys on his resume that he felt were going to have great careers. And that's what he did with Canelo. And that's why every time Canelo fights, Floyd Mayweather is brought up. And that's not by an accident, right? That's not by accident. They knew who Canelo was going to be. They knew that Canelo had potential. They thought that Victor Ortiz had that kind of potential. They, when they fought those guys, they thought they were going to go on and win some fights. And I'm sure they thought the same thing with Robert Ghost Guerrero, that they were going to go on and be world champion, win titles, and have a great career. And it would just be increase Floyd's um, legacy. Canelo worked. Victor Ortiz didn't. But that's where Canelo is right now. Now, I also say it's a negotiating chip. That if he goes to Cruiserweight, because everybody, you know, watch the PBC with Dave Benavides fight, everybody just assumed like, oh, this is Canelo's next opponent. It's Tim Charlo. It's Tim Charlo. That does, that's not good when you go to the uh, negotiation table with a with your Canelo to fight David Benavides and everybody just assumes that's your next fight and this is the one that makes the most logical sense and you're giving up all this ground. So what he did, he said, I'm going to go to Cruiserweight. And you know, if I go to Cruiserweight, I ain't coming right back down to 168. So incentivize for me to stay here. What are you offering that makes me stay here? Because now he has, he added something to for his, so he can negotiate. Now I know I was, uh, I brought that up and I was challenged to say, well, no, because he always had the um, Bevel fight or he had the you know, top rank fight, he had the triple G. The thing is that those guys aren't going to sell. And he knows PBC knows that. And he knows that those guys aren't going to be pay-per-view monsters for him. And those and Bavol's not going to do numbers for him. So he knows that. So what he could do, and the thing that he knows, because PBC's been known to do this, what he does with Tank, is you bring a guy up to a weight class and say, look it, this is a pretty big guy compared to him. He's going for another division another division world title. So he put that now on the table and says, look it, I'm going all the way to cruiserweight. And I could put that and I could sell that in a pay-per-view. I could go sell it to the zone. I could sell that to top rank. I could, we can get this. This can sell. That I went all the way to cruiserweight, 30 pounds. Am I able to do it? That's the selling point. Now he goes and... PBC has to wonder, like, okay, he does have a legit option, an, uh, another option that's legit. Whether he goes or not, I think that's a, I think it's, it would be a, you know, I think that's a tough challenge um, for anyone to do cut down weight. But I also feel like there was, of course, uh, strategic, there's strategy to what they were doing. There's strategy to why this was announced. There's strategy to, 
Canelo looking at his legacy and looking to, and also at the paydays that he wants. And the fights will get better pay if the fighters can actually have hype behind them when they go to fight him. And it's not just him selling the whole thing. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ezra Podcast.